0: Well, this has been one really surreal week. If you had told us last January that just in one year, we would be in the middle of Alec Murdoch's double murder trial, I don't think any of us would have believed that. But we are happy to be here. It means justice finally has a chance of getting served in Murdoch country. At least that's what we hope. Needless to say, Liz, Eric, and I, who have been very close to this case, are keeping a close eye on everything going on, but so far, so good. We have been pleasantly surprised with the witnesses so far, all of whom are in law enforcement and first responders. It is still early, but we've been really impressed with how they have held their own against Dick and Jim. Like a lot of you, We have been stunned by the Murdoch family's appearance and trial every day. And unlike a lot of national media, we continue not to be fooled by Elick Murdoch's tears and overall manipulations. Okay, so there is so much to talk about with y'all in this episode. So cups up, everyone. Let's get into it.
1: Well, guys, it's happening. It's been happening. We were just talking before we started recording now, but we were just talking about something I want to start with because it's really important. The three of us have been, like Eric, you said, knee deep in this for quite some time. And it's been a real lesson for us seeing how people have been responding who are new to this case or who haven't been following along quite as deeply as we have been. And Mandy, just what what are some of the things that you're seeing out there that have astonished you or surprised you in any way just as people are approaching this case for the first time?
0: A lot of sympathies. I think I've mostly been shocked with the amount of sympathy I'm seeing toward Alex, which is exactly what he wants. I mean, we've dove so deep into this that it is really hard to see Alex as deserving any sort of sympathy, because we know everything about this guy, and I think especially, I've been glad that we listened to the jailhouse phone calls, because that really gave us a level of insight that obviously the rest of the world doesn't have, or most of them. Alex has this through the GLS phone calls, we noticed how great he was at manipulating his family and the people around him and doing a little... Remember, he'd ask favors at the very end. He'd pretend like he cared about people. And then suddenly, I mean, he's manipulative. And so I see all those things when I see him. And when I see the tears go on and off, I see a narcissist, sociopath who is incapable of feeling, who's incapable of emotions like the rest of us. And I think it's all an act. And I just think it's stunning that the media keeps focusing in on his tears every single day and, oh, and his family supporting him and how he can't stand to listen to all of these things and the tears. And I just think it's crazy that they don't bother to say, but we never saw those tears before. And every other hearing, he wasn't, he wasn't crying. It was a completely different Alec Murdoch. But now that those tears benefit him, they are flowing every single day. And they turn off. They turn off and on. It's like a faucet.
1: It's when the jury and the judge are not in the room, he is a different Alec Murdoch. He's smiling freely. He's much more relaxed and jovial and making jokes it looks like with people. So I know that we are, we're all capable of that, but I feel like to a certain extent, like people need a very quick primer on who these people are and like where we are in terms of understanding them. And the number one thing to know is that they have deep, deep roots with law enforcement and a deep, deep experience in not being held accountable and, and being able to call the shots. And everyone in their world, I think, sort of has that. They they're very, very much want to have their hands on the steering wheel at all times. And this was a new reaction for them to have to deal with. They, I don't think that they expected law enforcement to go the distance with this. So it's it's all new for them. So that said, Eric, what, what are some of your observations about the newcomers to the story?
2: Well, welcome, guys. Cups up to our audience. You know, we've been in our own little sound chamber for the last year and a half, and our audience is so intelligent, and they've come along and, you know, offered some great insight. And so I think I'm seeing a trial in my eyes that I don't think the rest of the world is seeing. And I'm asking myself, am I being intellectually honest? One, because I have such bad feelings towards Alex. I think he's a despicable human being, a lawyer and everything, and he's a master manipulator because of all my knowledge about the financial crimes. And I. I'm trying to look at it as a lawyer to say, yes, he's innocent until proven guilty. But I have so much baggage that I know of him, and then so much baggage of Dick. I'm trying to look at Dick objectively, and I'm having a difficult time. One, because of my bad feelings towards him. But two, I was appalled as a lawyer and a human when he stood up in front of the jury and said, I am honored to represent Alex Murdoch. It wounded me deeply because... I don't know any lawyer who could say he's honored to represent Alex. I get it from a standpoint of you're entitled to your innocence and everything that the law entitles you to, and Dick should have said and did say, I don't think he's guilty. But for another lawyer to say that he's honored to represent him after knowing he's a thief and stole from clients of $10 million, I think it's a slap in the face at our profession. At the same time, I am marveling a little bit at Dick because he is a 74-year-old man, and he's gone toe-to-toe, and I can't begin to tell you how exhausting it is. It is to prepare for trial and sit there for eight hours a day and listen and be on your game so it is impressive a 74 year old man is doing what he's doing with that said you know i've been on a lot of television shows this past two weeks and i'm getting bombarded not only by the host but it's usually a two to one on me because the national pundits are all for dick they're all for alex They're saying this is junk science, that the crime scene is totally blown. I mean, let me clear this up right now. Uh, Voice recognition has been around forever. It's not junk science. GSR is not junk science. None of this is junk science. Phone mapping is not junk science. So that's dealing with that because every defense lawyer is going to rip apart a crime scene. Every defense lawyer thinks it's junk science unless it's benefiting his client. And by the way, look at the expert witness list of Dick. He's got seven of those on there. So those seven are somehow not going to be junk science, but everyone that the state does. And a defense lawyer is going to rip apart a crime scene. Like I said to Garagos the other night, Mark, I've never seen you stand up in a court and say, you know what, I don't have any questions, Your Honor. The crime scene's perfect. They did everything right. They put the yellow tape down right. They took the footprints in clay. They took all the photographs. If they took 100 photographs, Dick is going to say they should have taken 150. If they had the tape at 50 yards, Dick is going to say it's 75. And it's because a crime scene is an art. It's not a science. It's a little bit of both. And then the only other thing I'll say, and then I'll stop, is I think I'm so impressed with the professionalism and competence and confidence of these state witnesses, these women are powerhouses, okay? I had my own prejudice or my own forethought of, well, is Culleton County going to be a real, are they going to portray themselves well in front of the national audience? I am pleasantly surprised and I was wrong. These women are credentialed. They're experienced. They're just the facts. They're not slanting anything and they're poised. And I think the state looks great to the rest of the nation until I go on television. And then all of a sudden we look, everybody says we're a banana republic.
1: I think we are a banana republic, but I will say, yeah, including, I would say the both the men and the women so far, I think have been great. But one thing I want to make clear a voice recognition going back to that Alec's own family is the one who ID'd his voice and we also believe that it's not just one video so Dick and Jim like to talk about the video where you can hear Alec, but I believe there's also a video where you can see Alec and that's probably going to come into play as well. So I don't think that there's any question that he was at the kennels and if Dick and Jim are trying to say that he wasn't down there I think that's going to come back to bite them.
2: No, Dick just casually said in his opening statement well he may have gotten it wrong he was there he he thought he wasn't you know it's it's just like constantly you know degrading the state's evidence this powerful evidence and nobody's asking the hard questions like well if your son really had death threats how come you didn't report that to the police i mean if my son had death threats the first phone call i would be making to the police he brought maggie to the property like one of our listeners said to go see his father in the hospital who was dying yet when he leaves at nine o'clock he doesn't take a left turn to go to the Kennels to pick Maggie up. And oh by the way, he's not going to see his dad. He went to see his mom. So nobody's pointing to the vast dramatic inconsistencies
1: of their case. Except for us.
2: Except for us. And our <laughs> listeners. I see. And our listeners. <laughs> Once
1: again, we're alone in this. It's what's so funny right. about it. I yeah.
0: I keep having flashbacks to um right after the shooting in 2021. And shooting. Yeah, I like how Creighton is calling it the roadside incident, but I keep having these moments. I remember back then of like every other media writing these stories of like, somebody's after Alec. The, uh, Jim Griffin says that we're gonna have a sketch soon of the guy who shot Alec and all of this crap. And I always knew it was bullshit. We all knew it was bullsh- bullshit from the beginning, <laughs> from the second it happened. But everybody else bought into the story. And that whole week I was like, am I the crazy one? Am I seeing, are we following the same case? And
2: (laughs) if I put you on the jury, could you have washed out your mind and be fair and impartial? Are you guys, I'm trying to, I can't be. Could you be fair and impartial for what you're seeing in the court? Because I saw last night the interview in the car. It came out when I came home. And what I saw was the investigators giving him every benefit of the doubt patting him on the back. They didn't really look at him or treat him like a suspect. They treated him like he was one of them, a venerable part-time prosecutor. It was stunning to me. If he's saying to them, you know, I turned over Paul's body. I checked for a pulse. Somebody should have turned to him and said, how come you're all clean? Where's the blood? Where's the blood on you? Where's the dirt? How's this possible?
0: Right. But I thought that it was stunning watching that after... Harputlian portrayed that interview as aggressive he was trying to he said uh they aggressively questioned Alec that day and he said that D- dick has this theory that they honed in on Alec murdoch and nobody else and they had tunnel vision and all they wanted to do was arrest Alec murdoch and in that video i see the opposite of These police officers not wanting it to be Ellick and not wanting to go down this road of uh,
2: could have Murdoch. They were looking away. The driver was looking away. He was looking down. The two guys in the back seat were looking away. Then they rub him on the the shoulder. He goes from crying to just totally normal.
1: Console him, yeah. And you guys heard that on the the body camera footage too, that one of the first things that sounded like people were saying to each other is, are you aware of this family? And that's something obviously you would say if there's a history of trouble at that address or what have you. But that's not what they meant. It's the same thing that Anthony Cook said, which is like, yeah, it's boat crash all over again, where he says, good luck with (laughs) good luck to trying to do anything with this family. And he's not wrong. And they had a year, I think, to convince themselves that Alec didn't do it. And I think that they that whole year that they waited to charge him was also a year in which they were looking for an escape door. I don't mean necessarily the cops. I just mean that in general, that would have been an easier route for every single person on these teams to Gone is if they could find somebody else who was not Alec.
2: I, I don't think I've ever said this in my career, but I'm willing to say it. And if somehow that jury comes back with a not guilty verdict, or it's a hung jury with four or five people or three people saying not guilty, I'm not going to, I refuse to believe that he didn't do it. I, I just feel like the evidence is so strong, but I'm seeing it in the twilight zone because. The rest of the world is not seeing the power of this evidence.
0: Here's the thing, though, that I I keep thinking about this, too, because I'm Liz and I have been looking at each other all week like, wow, they had that, too. Wow. I'm I'm pretty impressed. Like, I went into this thinking I was going to slam and I told one of my sources this It's like I went into this thinking I was going to be slamming my head against the wall all week being like, it, these cops, they should have done better. And it has not been like that for the most part. I've been overwhelmingly impressed and they have a lot of these people working on this case have really done the state of South Carolina proud, I think. Um, but I think we're all thinking that because we know the whole story and we know everything else Creighton has in his cards. He's got a lot of cards to play besides the ones that he's presented so far. And I think when Creighton starts telling the story of who Elik really is and how he can flip a switch and all the awful things that he has done that are related to this and added to the pressure, I think that people are going to be able to see the totality of who he is and how he's a sociopath and how he can manipulate people. And I, I think that that's how we're seeing things different than everybody else because – And also, I mean, let's just say, I just want to say it right now, I don't think the media would be treating a poor black man like this. And There's no way. I I just don't. I don't think that they would be as sympathetic. There's no
2: way a black man who's on trial can, at a court break, when the jury goes to their room for a break, can turn around and reach across the uh, railing and touch their family members. If, if you go to Richland County and a guy who's on trial for murder tries to do that with his family, the deputies are on them like a bead of honey. It is stunning. It, listen, the whole production, and it is a production, let's just be honest, it's a production from both sides. It's gainsmanship, It's who, who's going to sit where? What are we going to wear today? But... I'm I'm very, I'm struggling and I'm kind of upset at myself because I do understand his family but I'm so much struggling with how the family is is supporting Alex and I get it this is their father this is their brother I do totally understand that and they haven't seen him in a year and a half and and they're not sure themselves whether allegedly. allegedly whether they don't want to admit it or they want to see a jury say at first, I get all that. But the state of South Carolina has spent hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not a million dollars, because you've had a grand jury for 10 months. And they've they've charged Alex 999 years worth of stuff, 99 criminal charges, income tax, you name it. And then this murder case, and you see how much they are putting into it. And for... The door to open and those family members to sit directly behind where Alex is sitting for the camera to be on them and him, it sends such a strong signal to the jury. Wow, his family knows so much more than we do. And if they know more than we do and they're sitting behind him, then he must be innocent. I'm really worried about how powerful... That will affect the jurors because nobody nobody's sitting on the state. I'm not saying that Buster needs to go back and forth, but Buster could sit back or some of the family members could sit back. But it's almost like they're part of the trial team. And I get it that- They are part
1: of the trial team. I don't think there's any mistaking that. I know.
2: As a lawyer, I should understand this. I'm just yeah. giving you my personal gripe.
1: I think they're absolutely part of it. One of yeah. them it
0: has to be paying for the- defense team i fully believe that um i think that the defense is well past the 600k and i think that they're supporting him i think that i i saw a video on twitter somebody sent me earlier today of uh when the jury left the room and him turning around and talking and smile john marvin smiling at him like They are not acting, and I know it's family, and I know it's hard to cut off family, but I can tell you that if I was Buster, and if I, I I don't even want to say that. Um, If my dad was accused of a fourth of the things that Alec is accused of, with a lot of evidence to back it up, I would never talk to him ever again.
1: Well, you're forgetting, guys, that he's been told – this family has been told that it's it's Curtis, Eddie Smith. So I think the two filings that Dick and Jim made before the trial started, really pointing a very aggressive finger toward Eddie Smith, might also have achieved – not only did it achieve the headlines to get Eddie's name associated with their murders, but I think also it was a validation for the family so that they could have that cognitive dissonance – And believe it was Cousin Eddie. And they have Dick and Jim who are telling them, it's not your father. It's not your father. And I, I think that that's probably, if you're looking to, if you're one of those people that wants to, let me see for myself. I don't wanna, I don't wanna judge him until I see the evidence myself. I think the evidence has been presented to them by two people, Dick and Jim, who are gonna present it in a certain way, not an objective way, obviously. And they've probably assured this family he didn't do it. He's not the guy. So I think they can sit there with that, perhaps lie in their head, and it excuses them for that. But the second thing, yeah, I, the the Eric, you had noticed that the family waited until the jury sat down on that first day that they filed into the courtroom. They, they came in after the jury was seated, which, by the way, I don't think the rest of us would have that. No,
2: the bailiff, the bailiff stops us at the door.
1: Yeah, I don't think so. They would
2: st- right. they would not let us walk in
1: late. But the, they wanted the jury to see that commotion, to see Ellick's reaction, and it, that is something that we've been told by a very good source that that is an actual tactic of that family throughout the ages in getting the... Uh, the story told or the drama, they like that um, presentation of unity or what have you. So uh, in in some way, and I know this is so gross for me to say, because if he is innocent, God help, you know, the, the, I'm not even going to say it. If, if he is innocent, whatever. But that family right now is co-conspiring with him in a way. Right. They're co-conspirators. And and that's sad for Maggie. And it's sad for Paul that the truth of what happened to them might not be the accepted truth that emerges from this trial. And I, and then the other thing I want to mention is just, it is so hard for me to understand how people are not seeing what the New York Times called this ready explanation in all cases. He did it during the Selkuhachi shooting, before he, the man's claiming to be shot in the head. And instead of being like my head, he's talking about, what he thinks, like the narrative of what happened to him, the thing he's been rehearsing in his brain. Ugh, uh I've been shot. Yeah, exactly. It was the... So it's the same with this. He did it with the 911 operator. He did it with the cop on the scene. He did it with the the sled officer or agent in the car. He has a a rehearsed, ready-made story to present immediately to them. And that, to me, more than the tears and not tears is more damning than anything. It is... It, you cannot predict how somebody's going to be in grief, especially when they see something as gruesome as this. But it is so strange to me that this man has already uh, formulated his alibi. Right.
2: Yeah, like, for me, for me, um, I can get past um, Alex crying and not crying at the scene a little bit because people in shock can do one of two things. For me, though, let's talk about, from the family standpoint, objectively, if you heard this evidence, shouldn't it affect you? One, if Alex said he was never at the dog kennels, now we know he's at the dog kennels six minutes before their phone goes dead. That's objective. That's something that they didn't know. Number two It appears that he changed his clothes. That should be another objective fact that should start to sway. Number three, he's totally clean. Totally clean. With no blood on him, no dirt, no nothing. And he said, I moved the body. That should be another objective fact. So now we got three. Number four, he... He leaves the house after texting Maggie twice and calling her once and getting no response and doesn't drive to the kennels to say, Hun, I know we were supposed to go see my dad, but I'm going to go see my mom.
1: Who I never see. Right. It's very unusual for my wife not to answer her phone.
2: Right. So that's objective fact number four. Number five, he takes a blue tarp, called a blanket, called a jacket, whatever you want with GSR on it and hides it in his mother's house after the murder. Those are five objective facts that even if you believe what Dick tells them that it's Cousin Eddie, you should pause and start to say, Now, wait a minute, Dick, why didn't you tell me that? You would have known those facts because they were in Discovery. I was on TV the other night with uh, Cousin Eddie's attorney, Amy, and she says, Cousin Eddie's going to testify and the world's going to be shocked what he says. Now, whether he's credible or not. So I'm asking you, those are five objective facts. They're educated people. The Murdaugh's are not dumb people. How are they? How is this not penetrating their titanium caps? I don't think that they're used to
0: processing things independently like the rest of us are. I think they operate as a unit. They've been used their entire life. They've been used to their entire lives having a leader of the family and just following what that leader says does. And um, I saw a lot of our MMP fans commenting during the trial about how they, they kind of act like the Royals act.
2: Good analogy.
0: Like a stoic a stoic uh, lack of emotions when they're sitting there. They know that they can't be overly one way or the other, but they, they're still there and present and another thing i wanted to say is the i think that so far at the end of week one the biggest w that the defense has had so far is the murdoch family filing in behind him like i don't think we can underestimate that and you're right liz it is them co conspirating and working on behalf of the defense whether they want to pretend like they're keeping their distance and waiting for the facts or not. We've heard a lot of facts. And also, where's Randy been the last two days? Um, Randy was there the first day, and he's not, and his wife was never there either, so I don't know if...
2: I think that's a law firm mandate. I think it's a law firm telling him, Yeah. Okay, you went the first day, but the more you're there, the more that it potentially can hurt our law firm. I think the law firm may have put the block on him and said no.
1: I hope that's the case. I do, because that means that they they are not so certain about the outcome. We'll be right back.
2: Don't you think it is powerful for the defense that Alex was lawyered up, and I guess it was Danny Henderson, that's who he gave the name, so he had a lawyer, why was he cooperating from D- June 8th on, why would the family ever sit down with the police, give their phones up? Right. Any lawyer worth his weight and salt would tell the client, even if they were innocent, look, no good can come about. I agree. Unless you're given a proffer, n- no good could come about it because you're a, you're a potential target here.
1: Absolutely. How do
2: you view that? How do you view his willing participation, talking like he did, giving his phone, Buster giving his phone, John Mar- Marvin giving his phone, and Randolph, and then them sitting down and answering questions without a lawyer present. Um, That's amazing to me.
0: I think it shows the power that the Murdoch family is used to. They are used to, and they acted this way in the boat crash. They are used to being able to... Face law enforcement, tell, give them a story, and that story is believed, bought, and that's that. They're not used to being challenged. They're not, they're not used to um, everything that the rest of us worry about. And I don't think Alex thought in a million years that this would go beyond Colleton County. I thought that, I think he thought that his buddies would cover for him. And I don't think that he, he obviously, we said this in the podcast, he has a history of making very stupid decisions. And I do believe um, after this week, I, I I think that Alex freaked out and I don't think that it was planned. I think that the way that he was behaving, I really do now think that it was, if he did it, I a blow up that he freaked out and snapped and... I do think that some of his emotions afterwards are shock and and natural shock when you watch him.
2: You can be a sociopath you
0: can be and yeah. still
2: you can have killed your wife and still be emotional about it. you can right. kill your kid in a prima in a shocking crime of passion It happened in a second he uh, Paul said something nasty to Alex Alex said something nasty that escalated boom you can still. At seeing your son's head blown off be t- highly emotional even after you did it that doesn't mean he's innocent
1: even if he did it at, like even if it was uh planned the, you can still have grief over it's a sacrifice that he has to make for something larger too because the, the larger thing being whatever this this is that he's been into with the money and such. So what if – I mean, if he saw killing his family as the only thing that it was available to him to solve his problems, that doesn't mean that he doesn't have remorse over doing it. So I think right. people need to keep that in mind. And one thing I do want to mention, because we do have so many newcomers to this, at the time of the murders, this man was under investigation by the state grand jury – for obstruction of justice, along with what we've heard possibly other family members and other law enforcement officers for what they allegedly did in the aftermath of the boat crash to steer law enforcement away from Paul Murdoch. When the boat crash happened, Mandy and I knew going in that the fix was going to be in. If we did not have a focus on this case, if we did not call it out, if we did not continue to cover it, it would have been so much easier for them to not charge Paul. And that's where it was likely going. I also think we need to mention that this is a very loyal family. So it's actually no surprise that they're behind them. It does does not surprise me any uh, other than the fact that I think they should probably be a little bit embarrassed for themselves at this point and probably don't understand. And uh, the third thing I want to mention is talking about the um, safety that he might have felt. One of the major the, uh, controversies that happened in the aftermath of the murders was that investigators from the 14th solicitor's, uh, Circuit Solicitor's Office were on the scene from the very beginning. The excuse that was given... Now, this is a conflict of interest because Ellick was a volunteer solicitor. This is an office that his family was in charge of for 86 years. The man that's in charge of it now, Duffy Stone, was uh, he took it over for Randolph Murdoch. Uh, Randolph Murdoch went to bat with the governor at the time to uh, get Duffy in place. So these are people that uh, are... are it were put put there by the Murdochs for lack of better terms. So the excuse that we got for the 14th Circuit being on scene was their specific uh, expertise in handling cell phone data and whatever uh, equipment they have, what have you. So I found it very interesting this week when Dick was, pu- so I should back up, Duffy Stone, who is the solicitor for the Fourteenth, is a protege of Dick Harpoulian. He he looks up to Har- Dick Harpoolian, uh This he worked for Dick Harpulian, I believe, when Dick Harpoulian was a prosecutor. So Duffy Stone. His people are there for their phone expertise, and now we have questions about why the phones weren't handled in Faraday bags, why they weren't handled in a very specific, higher level type protective bag that I would assume somebody with a lot of cell phone knowledge uh, would know about. So this is where I start to see things fall apart a little with the crime scene stuff. They want a messy crime scene. Uh, Being lawyers, they know this. They want things, they want not clear answers. So I just want to make sure that all of that's mentioned for the newcomers because this is what we're using. This is the information that we've been using to form our opinion and that has uh, fueled our suspicion for years now.
2: Liz, I have, I have two observations. Um, the first is I think we cannot underestimate The power of him being confronted on the morning of the murders by his law firm and the effect that that had on Alex. We're only going on what Gene testified to at Russell Lafitte's trial. I have a feeling it was worse. I have a feeling that it wasn't just related to just the Chris Wilson matter. I have a feeling that they gave him some pretty pointed accusations and said, Alex... We are going to audit you. We're going to audit your clients. And I think that set him in a frenetic, high alert state because that is where he makes his money. Not by the law firm, but by the theft. He makes a lot of money as a lawyer. But if that's cut off, that cuts off his legitimate income and some of his illegitimate income. And so I think we need to focus on what effect that had on Alex that shaped how he was going to do what he did for the rest of the day. The second observation is we can't win. If the jury comes back and says not guilty, Everybody's going to say, "You see, you guys railroaded him. You 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 only looked at the good evidence that you wanted to. You didn't look at the reasonable doubt."
0: I don't think that if and I've you know this is things that I think about before I go to bed at night. Like, what am I going to do if he's found not guilty? Um, at the end of the day, that's not. We've done our jobs. <laughs> um, we've done, and two. If he is found not guilty, that just proves our point more that there are two systems of justice in the United States of America and Alec got a lot of advantages that anybody else would not have gotten. And you cannot tell me that he, if he was anybody else, I think that this would have all played out a lot different. Most people don't get a million dollar defense behind
2: them. Shouldn't they have brought a jury from somewhere else, though? I mean, I get the I get the not changing the venue. I get that. So, how
1: does that work, Eric? Uh, Because we've seen a lot of questions about that. How does a venue change for a criminal trial work?
2: Either side could petition the court and say it's it's prejudicial to either case because the jury is too infected with either uh, knowing the defendant or that he cannot get a fair trial because of the amount of bad press usually a motion to change venue is made by the defendant you know somebody like Dylan Roof there's nowhere he could go that somebody really wouldn't know about it this is the same way you know we've already we've brought juries in from other places many many times in this state i i don't understand why the state did not make a motion to change venue i just don't Can I note a few things about the jury?
1: Because, yeah, so we had, there was 900 people that were called up for this. 300 showed up, which we're told is a normal ratio there. Each So they were divided into four panels. Each panel was asked by the judge whether they had heard of this case. And 90% of each panel, the first panel, all of them stood up. But the rest of the panels, most of the panels, the the, jur- the potential jurors stood up on this jury though what i'm seeing is because i kept track of the ones that sat down who said that they had not heard anything about this case we have uh i believe it's six jurors uh who said that they had never heard of this case and then we have i think it's one or two alternates i'd have to look but and then there's one woman on the jury who said that she had heard of the case and had formed an opinion as to whether Alec was guilty or innocent, but that she could put that aside to be impartial. You're kidding me. I'm not kidding. And Dick uh, did not strike that juror. So, of course, my antenna's up because I think it's really... And, and then there's one juror who is related to one of the 255 witnesses. And in this juror, too, said, I can put that aside. So... I think that when you're looking at the number of people, obviously Dick and Jim are going to want people who hadn't heard of this case, I understand that. But when you look at how the lottery is pulled, how did that, so many of the people that, of the few people who said they didn't know anything about the case, end up toward the the top of it. Because they only got through, I think about maybe 30, 40, I, i have to look to see how many jurors they got through in the striking phase. So that's just something, and I'm not saying anything nefarious happened. It's just something I find merely interesting.
0: I think it's also interesting. I think you're right, Eric, that it would be difficult to get truly a jury that had never heard of this case and could be fair and impartial anywhere. But anywhere in the 14th Circuit, especially, knowing the history of the Murdoch family, I mean, we cannot ignore the fact that before this case Buster Murdoch, old Buster Murdoch portrait was in this courthouse. Like the people in Colleton County know this family; they know the history, and more importantly, they know about the fear surrounding this family. Absolutely. And they know about; they've heard the stories. Most of them have, and I also worry about the people that said that they hadn't heard of this family. They're either under a rock. Or they are lying. They're lying. Also concerning. I just think it's risky as hell for the state to do this thing in Colleton.
2: And I agree. again,
0: and it, it just makes the burden that much higher. So and if I you think, put
2: them together, it's more of an advantage to Dick and Alex to be in Colleton County, right?
1: Right. Absolutely.
0: Right, because it just adds to the chaos. They want any. They want any sort of thing that. Can create yeah to their advantage, and that that absolutely does Um, the state. And I I also think as we're analyzing this case and seeing all these people saying like Dick's doing a great job, blah blah blah, and I'm not that impressed with the state. The state has such a bigger burden. Am I right, Eric? Like they do.
1: What Dick has to do have the entire burden.
2: Dick gets to stand up and say to the jury. He is innocent. He did not do it. And you better look at me in the eye and tell me that right now because you just took an oath saying that you would follow the law. And the law says that he's innocent. So it's like these people automatically have to say, wait a minute. He didn't do it. Um, You know, also, the reason we have a justice system in our country, it's open to the public. I have a little bit of a gripe and I got to be careful what I say here. But I'm a little bit peeved at the inability of the public, me, and others to be able to walk into that courthouse and sit in that trial. We're paying for it. And I feel like I'm trying to get into Fort Knox when I walk to that door. Okay, who are you with? I'm a lawyer. Okay, you got to be with somebody. Well, I'm the lawyer that that broke up in the... The Satterfield case. Okay, fine. I'm a witness for the state. I'm subpoenaed. Okay, that's not good enough. I'm with uh, Luna Shark Productions. Well, you guys only have one seat. I mean, it is ridiculous. I had a guy that just, I'm telling you, if I took six inches forward, he was going to hit me. I mean, this is the people's court.
1: About the venue change, I, I think it would be very difficult for the state to argue a venue change without making accusations that they wouldn't be able to back up because so much of... Um, the influence is, it's just a very intangible thing, but it's very knowable. And you would have to get people on the stand to testify about their influence. Their, and this is not something that the people around here are going to be willing to do. So it it was a non-starter, in my opinion. But one thing that that's interesting, we've heard this question even more, I think, is people asking why Buster and John Marvin are allowed to be in the courtroom when they are on the witness list, but witnesses are allowed to attend this, right, Eric? Because nobody yeah. has sequestered them.
2: Correct. Usually, um, or
1: has ordered a sequestration. Anyway. Just
2: because somebody makes a motion to sequester witnesses doesn't mean a judge will grant it. However, a judge usually does grant it. For instance, in Russell Lafitte's trial, they the defense asked that the witnesses be sequestered. And Judge Gergel granted it and all the witnesses... Explain
1: what that means to sequester a witness. It means
2: that they cannot be in the courtroom until they testify, until they're called as a witness. It also means that... And he told them, I do not want somebody directly or indirectly telling you what's going on before you testify.
1: In the Lafitte case. In
2: the Lafitte case. So that's that's Mm -hmm. a second level of sequestration. Right. It's one thing... To tell a witness, you can't come to court until you testify. Then the second level that Judge Gergel did is, not only can you not come to court, but I don't want you talking to anybody directly or indirectly that can tell you what's going on so that when you come in, you're lily white and fresh. In this particular case, the reason I was allowed in the courtroom as a witness is because Dick didn't make that motion. He did not want... To sequester witnesses because John Marvin's a witness, Randolph's a witness, Buster's a witness,
1: law firm members, members of the law firm are Correct. witnesses. Correct, and then Lots if their they friends did, are witnesses,
2: think about it. If they did that, it's their team. The whole there would be nobody behind Alex,
1: right? And so one of the things I guess with sequestration is is you're pre- you're preventing witnesses from altering their. Their testimony, according to something they might have heard early on, or while while they're studying it, and that and that I, the interesting thing there is that in many ways you sort of that's another thing you would want though you would want the witnesses not to be in the room. So I'm surprised that the state didn't uh, make a motion for that because. I think to preserve, we don't want law enforcement officers changing their testimony either based on what somebody else went through, right? So, and maybe they just didn't do it because it's being aired on every station uh, worldwide right now. So that could be a reason, I don't know. Can we mention something? So, because I think there's a lot, I, I, and I hope the jury is not confused by this. And I was talking to a friend of mine who, as I was explaining it to her, she said that she, if she were on the jury, she would certainly be confused by this. And I don't know if it's just because I have like a tiny, tiny little bit of law enforcement, working for a law enforcement agency experience there. But the first witnesses from, uh, especially from when we're talking about the and County Sheriff's Office witnesses, these were people who arrived on the scene first. So Dick and Jim, of course, are asking them questions that are beyond their level of involvement in the case. And Dick and Jim obviously know this, but they're doing it. It's, very, it's designed to make it look like these guys screwed up the crime scene. So asking a road deputy whether he tested the drain in Maggie's, in the, the Murdoch's house, blood. And is just to elicit that answer. Well, no, that's not what I do. That's not, well, do you know if it was tested? Well, no, I don't know. So I think you got a lot of that with the tire tread, the footprint, especially with the first, I would say three or four witnesses, perhaps. So obviously we're getting into the sled witnesses now. So there's going to be a little bit more of an expertise, but they're doing the same thing to them as well, which is they're asking them questions beyond the scope of what their role was in the case, just to make it look like, these people didn't do their job, and and they're all over the place. And unfortunately, I, I feel like that is having some effect on people. I wouldn't say it's necessarily working, but I don't think that people understand that. I saw a comment that was like, oh, look at the police not doing that. Why, why is it always somebody else's job? And it's like, well, they have very, very specific roles. That's why it's somebody else's job.
2: One guy puts up the tape. The other guy puts up the lights. The other guy takes the photographs. I mean, right. you know, it was great. Dick kept saying... Oh, you! there was tire tracks on the grass and then the police and the fire and the rescue came in and they drove over. It. And finally, one of the sled witnesses says, we don't ever take uh, uh, imprints of grass. You can take an imprint of tire track over grass. You can only do it in mud. And then, oh, yeah, you know what? That makes perfect sense. And hopefully they're picking up on that. Right.
0: Yeah, and I think that goes back to... Dick's job is just so much easier than Grayton's. I'm sorry, but, like, he can just sit there all day and confuse people and ask questions that are irrelevant and stupid and just bore you and...
2: Obfuscate. Obfuscate.
0: Right. And it's just, it's just so much more difficult for the state to, in in the state right now, I think is doing a good job of laying down bricks. Uh, Liz and I were talking about this last night. It's like building a beach house. Did you say this, Eric?
2: Yeah, I did. I said, if you have a house on the beach that's subjected to a hurricane and Dick is that hurricane, you better fortify your pilings. You fortify the basement and you don't build the kitchen or the steam room or the master bedroom first, and you build it from the bottom up, and then it will withstand the hurricane. But if you do not put on that officer that came to secure the scene, and then the next officer, like Liz said, who's responsible for B, and the next officer for C and D, then you can't put on the final experts who are going to say this was Uh, Maggie's Blood this was gunshot residue and it's residue from a long rifle it's not from a shotgun blast you have to do it methodically and everybody's like well let's just get to it let's just get to it no the state doesn't have that luxury because it's beyond a reasonable doubt they're proof that they have to show and so it's methodical it's like you know to do uh, multiplication you got to learn addition first
0: right and i think it's been so um it's been really interesting to watch some of the comments that dick has made to these experts that i think could hurt him and um we cannot i keep pointing this out but we can't ignore the fact that the jury is uh eight women and four men and I notice online, it's a lot more men saying Dick's doing a great job. It's a lot more women saying, who does this guy think that he is? Um, He drives me crazy. And Dick made several comments yesterday that I think hit women hard and just go straight to the core of like, just irk us.
2: You know what the misogynistic statement he made that really offended me was to that really well-presented, confident woman He said, Well, did you get a can of pork and beans and throw it in the bag too? You know, that's the same.
0: Would you treat a can of pork and beans like that? Which, too.
2: That is so demeaning. He wouldn't say that to him. It's just, Dick, he's just an OG old school lawyer. I mean, it. Well, talk about a phallic symbol too,
1: like pork and beans. Uh, Like, there's a lot of jokes (laughs) that can be made there, you know? Like, just like, stop talking about pork and beans, Dick.
2: I I don't think I've ever used that term.
0: I never talk to her like, okay, is that how you use food to serve? Like that's our role, you know. That's yeah. it. Just comes off as extremely
2: misogynistic,
0: out of touch, and it just there's a fire inside a lot of women that just that and he said another comment yesterday to one of the sled agents I believe which was is that all you do is oh, all God. you do is transfer it and that is another comment that so many women have heard and because women do a lot of things that go unnoticed and we do a lot of behind the scenes work that men like to take credit for
2: can I just say one once and for all that special agent Worley is one badass woman Okay.
0: But yeah. All, all three of them yesterday.
2: My spine stood up. When she talked, I was sitting up upright like I'm talking to a nun in Catholic school. I mean.
1: I know. I said she's not fun at parties, I don't think. <laughs> I don't
2: think she... That woman is inf- unflappable.
1: Right. Did you and notice I, I... Uh, Jim asked Laura Rutland, the detective, he, because she said the reason she got into police work was because she was sort of a true crime nut. Yeah,
2: CSI girl. Which...
1: A lot of people are, and for Jim to mock her, he mocked her for that. He like did. At, at one point, and it's like it wasn't good. You're also probably mocking most of the jury.
0: I think again, the good old boys underestimated them. I think that they they went into it saying all these comments that they thought would um, shut them down, but <laughs> did the opposite. My favorite was the pork and beans comment when Dick said, "Is that how you would handle pork and beans?" And then the sled agent <laughs> said. If the pork and beans were evidence, I would handle it like this. And just like so quick. Yeah. And like, boom,
2: just right back at yeah. you. And I'm
0: watching all these women react to it like, yeah, and I could just picture women in the jury because I mean, when men talk to us like that, it is so aggravating because we've worked so hard.
1: Well, especially in that field, they're a minority in law enforcement. So it's already they're having to deal with that kind of stuff and being underestimated.
0: Right. Somebody said on Twitter today, like something about why are you guys so impressed by the fact that they're females? And it's not, I mean, they would be impressive regardless, but what I'm impressed by and proud of is that it's, it's rare in any case to see three female law enforcement officers in a row like that, because I don't know the statistics, but I know it's not 50-50 in law enforcement or anywhere near it. And we'll be right back. something I wanted to ask Eric a lot of people well first of all I keep getting questions saying could this be for uh, could this be grounds for a mistrial could this be grounds for a mistrial like could the the fact that these um witnesses aren't sequestered uh could that be grounds for a mistrial it might but my response is like they're gonna try I mean they can ask for or a retrial or whatever for a lot of things right i mean but it doesn't mean that it does it's gonna go anywhere
2: the only time that you'll hear a mistrial is if there is jury tampering by one party or if there's jury misconduct meaning that one of these jurors went home and did their own research and came back and talked to the other jurors or jurors were not truthful during the Vor-Dyer process about relationships or knowledge. That is usually a real fertile ground for a mistrial. The other grounds for a mistrial are evidentiary-based. If the judge told Dick or Creighton not to get into a subject and they opened it up like um, you know something that would be... Um, against Alex's interest that Alex you know uh, grabbed the shotgun and fired it over somebody's head like a, like 10 months ago or you know before the murders happened and somebody blurted that out and the judge ruled that out that could be grounds for a mistrial but nothing so far has been grounds of uh, for a mistrial there's no juror misconduct nobody's tampered with the jury
0: and I misspoke uh, I think a lot of people are asked like grounds for an appeal, which that's a different thing but i, I oh, but right. that that is interesting about the mistrial and and the other thing that I keep getting questions about that I wanted to ask you eric um as Worley yesterday was handling a lot of evidence she didn't have gloves on and a lot of people right. were freaking out. Why don't they have gloves? Could that be – could that work for the defense somehow? What do you think about that?
2: I think they're smart enough because she had gloves when she pulled out the shoes.
1: Right. Paul's, she, Paul's shoes, shoes. But yeah. she
2: didn't have the gloves on the seatbelts and we were all freaking out and everybody on there right. on our, our our feed was um, asking these questions. I think both sides have already tested it. So if it's already been tested by both sides.
1: Okay. Oh, okay. Then
2: it may be that it, it was okay. It's still not good because if there's a retrial and 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 Alex raises ineffective assistance to counsel and gets new lawyers for the next trial, um, somebody could want to test it differently with a different testing agent right. because maybe it's got of the Myrtle DNA, but not else. But I have a feeling it was fully tested by both sides. But it's still not, it's not a good visual. It didn't, it didn't look good. I mean, I'll be honest. I was upset at the state for that. It didn't look good.
1: It also opens up a question that they can ask, like Dick and Jim can ask, like, oh, did you handle the evidence as carelessly as you're handling it now without gloves? Brilliant. That's that's the, that's the thing that I think law enforcement, right. when they put right. their gloves on especially, they're trying to avoid. But she's not the only one. Uh, Daniel Green, the first uh, deputy on the scene, held – yeah, he didn't use gloves when he was holding the uh, shotgun.
2: Mm-hmm. The shotgun. Which
1: is important because...
2: Yeah, but so many people have hold, held that. I totally
1: that. understand that. It's just in that moment, I think you don't want to give the defense an opportunity to say in front of the jury, did you did you handle it this way then, too? Or, and it's the visual. Okay. You saw them without touch,
2: touching everything. and it, it lends credence to Dick's narrative that there yeah. was less than a professional... Uh, attitude towards the crime scene, uh-huh.
0: right?
2: Visuals and count.
0: I don't know, Eric. If you've seen the pool photos every day, but mm, I have not. So many of them every single day are I zoomed in on Alec and his tears. Uh, and yeah, I mean, the one I'm
2: on his nose.
0: Image is everything, and it's really been stunning to me how. Well received those tears have been, and how far they've gotten him. I mean, uh, that has just been unbelievable.
2: So if I was degraded, I would say the defense is doing better on imaging. image, Absolutely. imaging with Dick and Jim, and um, a lot He's of not flirting, a lot of commotion at the table, a lot of movement. Uh, the state is very. Professional, there's not a lot of commotion at their table. I think they're definitely winning the defense on the uh, TV. Uh, when you get into these national crime programs, whether it's um, law, uh, court TV, or law and um, uh, order, and these nightly shows that I appear on, I'm not seeing anybody saying, wow, the state's winning except me and a couple other former prosecutors no defense attorneys are being intellectually honest in saying
0: i'm just really interested in the strategy there and wanted to go back to one thing really quickly the um uh, savannah the attorney general's office uh lawyer who entered a lot of the evidence i think i think a lot of people have not seen Trials play out from A to Z. They see the highlights, the clips, the movie version. Um, But the rest of us have seen it, and it's normal for the boring, and it seems boring and tedious, and I saw a lot of comments of like, why is the state being so boring? (laughs) And like, why... Why are they doing this? Blah, blah, blah. And it's just to enter the evidence. And it's to, again, to lay that foundation. Yeah, it's
2: not a movie. It's a trial. Right. If this is going to withstand appeal on a verdict, either way, there has to be the evidentiary basis for the appellate court to affirm a verdict. This is not Hollywood. You actually have to... To make spaghetti, you got to make the noodles, you got to make the sauce. You just right. can't put it on the table and eat it.
0: And you can't skip steps. No. And you can't just be like, here's the seatbelt. What's the significance here? Right. And but it's also interesting how that happens because it's like they're lay it's we're all finding, we're all solving a mystery along with them. Like, what's the seatbelt for? <laughs> what's the water for?
2: When it starts to get dicey, when the evidence starts to be uh wow. Watch Dick. He'll start commotion. Yeah. So when the did. seatbelt comes, he'll start standing up. He'll go over, he'll say, I haven't seen that. Uh Judge, is she the foundation witness? Judge, let me see this. I wanna open it myself. He'll create diversion. If like you said, it was like a 2013 interview you saw, Liz. I didn't see that of Dicker, there was a 2013 interview where he said, I create diversion in the courtroom and, and get the jury's attention away. Watch when this evidence starts to get really close to Alex's bone. Watch Dick create diversion. You know what,
1: Eric? Let's just read, we can read a little, a little bit of that actually. It was a, it was in, uh, it was November, 2013. We've quoted it several times on the show, but okay. maybe we should share this with people. So he is tip number one, pick a jury not based only on your client's profile, but also yours. If the jury hates you, they usually won't like your client. So that goes back to what he said to the jury, which is, you might not like me. I might offend you. Don't take that out on Alec. Right. This has caused me to gravitate toward unattractive people on juries. They don't feel threatened by me, as if he's some handsome devil, and aren't disdainful like attractive people. Tip number two, never suffer a misstatement of the facts by opposing counsel in opening statements. Since his or her back is toward you during the process, I call it the kidney punch objection. Most attorneys have a difficult time recovering from the objection, especially if it happens more than once. There you if go. If they have a prepared opening, they never seem to get back to it. Don't let them frame the case based on lies. Dick did not object to Creighton's uh, opening statement, but Creighton objected to Dick's. Remember that, guys?
2: Yes, he did. Yeah, he said that what a wit- this witness has, has said instead of what the witness will say.
1: That's right. Tip number three prior to trial, I almost always only depose experts to get their opinion and the materials they used to formulate the opinion. In most of my cases, expert depositions take less than five minutes. Why educate them before trial? He's Save so the good stuff for it. the jury. Yeah. He's wrong Tip about number four own the courtroom. One of mm-hmm. my frequent opponents when I was the DA paid me the most eloquent compliment. She said Harputlian is like a dog marking his territory in the courtroom. He pisses in every corner and, invades your space as frequently as he can. It makes the opposing attorney anxious. Anxiety is your friend. Mandy and I have pointed this out many times, but during that first hearing, Dick came right into Creighton's territory. And this is where the uh, term big Creighton energy comes from now because we didn't like his energy that day and we wanted some big Creighton energy and he's given it a lot since he was small Creighton energy that day.
0: Yeah. He just let him walk all over him.
1: Yeah. And then the final tip is, is tip number five, which is throw away the script. There is nothing more boring nor unproductive than to follow a script checking off the points you want to make to prove the elements of your case. The jury wants a narrative, a story, an entertaining yarn full of conflict, emotion, sex, violence, yelling, weeping, etc. You get the idea. That means you have to have a general idea of what you want but let the examination flow naturally. Set the witness up to confirm fact A and fact C, then box them into B. The jury will understand where you are going. Remember, these are unattractive people who watch a lot of T V and read most of their evenings. They have lots of imagination.
2: Unattractive people. That's crazy. I know.
1: It's so crazy.
2: <laughs> I wish the jury I wish the jury could see that Dick Harpootlian Says universally and generally, jury. Yeah. I, I pick jurors that are unattractive. Yeah,
0: like Liz said, like he is some handsome devil. Like, Dick, you are nobody to be judging anybody's attractiveness. The
1: way he's saying it is like, I don't want to overshadow them with my gleam. Like, nobody's getting overshadowed Look. by your gleam.
2: Dick is constantly walking over onto the prosecution oh. side yeah, he or is. telling Creighton, hey, can I see that? Or whispering in her ear. And what happens is, if it's a very important piece of witness testimony, the jurors take the eyes and their ears off the witness testimony, and they look over at Dick, and maybe something is is being missed. He's so good at deflection and diversion.
0: Kind of, but like, I don't know, I think a lot of this could bite him in the ass at the end like i think that a he said i know that he said at the beginning if you don't like me you don't have to like me don't take that on on my client
2: every lawyer says that we all say that lawyers
0: are still humans and when you don't like somebody and if somebody comes off as arrogant and obnoxious like dick Harpootlian comes off to me and i'll be honest um they it's just so much harder to believe what's coming out of that person's mouth and it's harder to believe their story and you just you interpret things through a different lens and dick i think believes that he can still be unlikable and be credible but he's not coming off that way and i think too it was interesting liz you said uh throw away the script Because I noticed a lot of people were described – I mean, there's kind of 50-50 with Dick. There's a lot of people that were like, he did great. What are you talking about? Blah, blah, blah. But a lot of other people, I noticed the word unprepared to describe Dick's opening statement. And it did. It, It came off to me like the kid in class Who was pretty smart, but never did their homework, or and then there's a big project that day, and he just makes up the whole thing, and is pretty good at it, but you can still tell they just made it up right there. And I don't know if that's gonna work. I don't. Um, We'll see.
2: What do you think of Jim?
0: Jim was better at uh, cross than Dick. I think Jim's more more likable, and Liz has said this, too.
2: He's he's extremely prepared, by the way, and he's extremely yeah. smart. And I do think what he did get out was that um, the officers were around the sheet. Now, his fitted sheet comment or queen sheet comment were didn't go over well. But they were making a big point, the prosecution, that Alex's footprints weren't around Paul's body there. But they, Jim countered that by saying... Well, you didn't see the officer's footprints, body, footprints around his body, and they flipped them over to see if there was a gun. So I thought Jim, um, Jim, Jim is a really good lawyer. The problem with Jim is he's a little bit dry. Not to say that there's anything wrong with that, but he's a, that's a good bookend for Dick because Dick's a lot of drama and a lot of, um, you know, he's more interesting at times. If you are a lawyer's lawyer, you you like the the stuff that Dick does because you know it's effective from a lawyer standpoint. I'm not. I talking think that about- that
1: is effective. What you just said because when you look at the reality of what Jim got on the record there, the officers, the, the reason we know there are not Alex footprints or there, he didn't have dirt on them is because of the testimony of the officers who saw him at the scene, right? Not because of pictures of what, meaning like we're not relying on pictures. Jim is relying on pictures of the ground after it rained to see whether the officers' footprints are there or not. So those are two different types of uh, observations, right? You have the direct observation of the officers who saw that there was no dirt on Alec. And there were no footprints around the body, no knee marks or whatever in proximity to the event of it happening, meaning they looked when they got there, right? But what Jim's looking at is photos of this, of the scene and not seeing these footprints, which could by that point of the photos been washed away. I don't know.
2: That's a great point. So those
1: are two things. So that, that, that is the effective nature of him. But Eric, you said something. Eric and I were talking, uh, one on one of the nights and, I said to Eric, I was like, well, that's because you're a lawyer, because tactically what you're seeing, you understand, you can appreciate Dick did this, Jim got this, uh, wow, they really uh, slapped Creighton. But Mandy and I are communicators, so we're always looking at it from the perspective of was something effectively communicated. So Dick might think, yeah, I, I talked about the tire tracks, I talked about the footprints, ah, ha, ha the jury's going to love, you know, they're going to really doubt the scene now. But were they listening? And I think that that's what's going to come down to, because Dick is the kind of person who starts and doesn't finish a sentence sometimes, I think he can be very difficult to follow.
2: Uh, And obnoxious. He's
1: obnoxious. obnoxious, (laughs) It's fake sort of like outrage. It looks fake. It does not look real.
2: Hold back. Mandy, don't tell me what you feel. Just hold a little bit back, please.
1: I mean,
0: like... I just, he represents so many obnoxious men who I've come across in my career, and I feel like, and again, like, he said all that shit about me at the beginning of that one court hearing, and I mean, I didn't like him then, but I liked him a lot less after that, Um, but anyways, I don't like him, I, I don't but i also really notice that a lot of women see the exact same thing that i see when i when they look at carpoolian and i just think that this is a different day for him he is just so used to everybody saying how brilliant he is all the time and everybody complimenting him and everybody saying and, and the media and we cannot underestimate his power in the media. And that is something that I've noticed this week more than ever before in my entire life. Dick knows how to get good headlines and get good images and manipulate the media. So they work just exactly for him. And they have no idea that they're what they're doing for him. I don't think, I think that they think that they're being fair and impartial, but they're not. A lot of them are working for him
1: and they don't even know it. They're so tickled by him. They think he's so cool or something, but oh, they think they're, they think he's hilarious. <laughs> like his attention means something. So we talked about um, Dick creating these sort of smoke screens when he sees when and they start to mention evidence that might be troublesome for them. So, what are what are some of the points? I know one of the ones is the water, the pool of water that was near to, I suppose, where Paul was found. And there's, I saw from a picture that there's a hose. Uh, I, I, I'm going to assume that the prosecution is insinuating that Alec or whoever washed themselves off in this pool. But that that was when we got the biggest reaction from Dick. Right? That was when he. He basically flew to the other side of the room. What are some other pieces of evidence that you think that uh, Dick doesn't want really to resonate with the jury?
2: Blood on the uh, seatbelt and then GSR. And when these phones come in um, and voice, th- that's going to be deadly because I, I'm i not sure they're going to need the bloody T-shirt. I, I'm thinking that... The blood. I think there's going to be blood inside that car that we didn't know about.
0: And the change of clothes. I oh, think
2: That's huge. If,
0: if they prove that, I think that that is going to be really, really hard to explain.
2: What did you say, Liz, that the white t-shirt, he was pulling it over a wet body... Did you tell... Did I see you say that? Like down by his belly button, like he had the white t-shirt on when the cops came and it was smooth up top and it was... Oh, yeah. When you get out of a swimming pool and you put a t-shirt on, it's just really...
1: I didn't say that, but somebody did. thought
2: I saw that. Somebody said that.
0: The officer said... Why did you think that he had a clean shirt on, that he put on a clean shirt? Oh, I'm sorry, And then the officer said because he was sweating so much and his shirt was completely dry. Did you guys hear that?
2: Yeah, I did read that, yeah.
0: And that was like, oh, I never thought about it. And he was sweating. Um, And yeah, I mean, changing
1: his clothes is going to be damning if they prove it it. So then what do you make of the high-impact velocity spatter that we have written about and talked about a lot, and what do we make about that? It could have been on his undershirt. He's
2: not going to use it.
0: Um, It could have been... I don't know. I don't, I don't know, and I'm, I'm very eager to find out. Or it could have been a Trojan horse all along to mm-hmm. mislead everybody that this was the biggest piece of evidence and have the defense be... Um, Put blood spatter on the top of their list of evidence to knock yeah. down, and then the state's like, "Oh, we got GSR, we got this, we got that." How, uh, you should on this.
2: How much of the fourteen hundred swamp acres did they scuba dive in? All of them.
0: I mean, did they really? They say they did, but I—I I mean, I've—I uh...
2: was back there. I was back there, guys, and I'm telling you, it's some tough stuff to navigate with the roots of these, cy- these cypress trees and, and that. But I will tell you about the kennels. I was at the kennels. The kennels have a trough in front and in back. So where you hose them down, the water and the poop go in the trough and it's angled towards a drain. There, there's no way that you're cleaning out the dog kennels and then water goes in front of the closet and puddles it 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 doesn't work that way i was there there's troughs and and the water runs off because you don't want the poop to go out of the concrete area onto the ground so dick is wrong it's not somebody had to use a garden hose or there was a lot of rain that came down
0: since you've been there eric um If there were gunshots heard at the dog kennels in the house, if there was gunshots near the dog kennels, could you you hear that from the house? Yeah, that's what I would think. In a
2: June night, in a June summer night, where there's nothing but a little bit of mosquitoes, some firelight bugs, and maybe a cricket or two, that would echo forever. I'm telling you, there's nothing near Mazelle. And one... It was at least, it's two shotgun shell shots on Paul, five on Maggie. He may have missed one or two. We don't know if he was a perfect shot. If he did. If it. he did. Perfect shot. If he did it, right? But you would hear it. And more importantly, when he came out at 9.02 to get in the car, you would smell gunpowder. In the air.
0: Yeah, and then you can't get a hold of your wife and son, and you're like, uh... I'm just going to
2: drive straight down the driveway. I'm not going to go see what's going on. I'm going to check on
1: on my mom. I imagine he's going to dispute the time of death, right? Because he's going to claim that they were killed after he left.
2: Why didn't he go see his dad? Tell me why. the If the whole purpose was to see his father, why didn't they go?
1: He told the detective that his father was not doing... The best. He was not doing okay. He didn't say he didn't use the word dying. He didn't say he was on hospice. It was the exact opposite of what he was telling Jeannie Seconder at PMPD earlier in the day. And obviously we know that Randolph was very ill. And I've had people question why was he at the hospital if he was on hospice, which is a really good question. Uh, but yeah, he, he seemed to downplay the dying angle of his father. But didn't he
2: tell Maggie to come home because... I want us to go visit my dad.
1: That's what we've heard. I mean, that's what we've had that from several sources who are direct and good sources.
2: Okay, so why did he go to the mom?
1: That's exactly. Well, we I think we know
2: why.
0: I think one of my favorite parts of the trial is communicating with all of our fans. Yeah,
2: that was awesome.
0: It's just been really cool. Um, There's been so many different people that have made comments that have made my day. And it's really great. I I mean, I feel like we're doing something so different and so new and unique the way that we're covering this. I love our little lunchtime chats with people. So please, please, please subscribe and support us. And hit the subscribe button on the feed of Cup of Justice, which is new and fresh and super exciting.
2: I want to say that, um, you know, I'm just, I was a normal kid growing up in Philadelphia and not anything that you would write home about. I wasn't the top of my class. I was a good athlete, but I wasn't a great athlete. And when people come up to me and they want to, you know, take their picture and they want to tell us how great Cup of Justice is. It's really humbling, and I'll tell you, it, it never gets old, and I really appreciate everybody who came up to me last week and said, hey, I drove a couple hours, I wanted to meet you guys, and you know, I wanted to get the picture with you and Mandy and Liz, and um, I just want to tell you guys, we really appreciate
0: it. Yeah, that's been really cool. It's, it's kind of surreal
1: having to, uh, being asked to take selfies Super surreal. for all That's yeah. <laughs> It's nice. It's very... Everyone's been so great. There is no really such thing as a newsroom anymore in these small communities, especially. So, having our listeners watch this with us and comment, it's like being in a newsroom again where you're all watching or doing or talking about the same thing and you all have your little asides, but we're all working together. And I just, I I really love that.
0: There's been so many times where listeners have pointed out things that I would not have recognized on my own. And that's just been extremely helpful, encouraging. I have uh, hope for the internet again, so that's something. Uh, It's been awesome. So subscribe to MMP Premium. We're having a good time. We're Um, we're doing our best every day covering this trial, and it's awesome. And we just appreciate everyone. We'll talk to you guys again.
2: Thanks, guys. Good to see you. Peace out. Cups down. Cups down. Cups up. Cups down.
0: Cups down. Cups down. Cups down. I like it.
2: Cups down. This Cup of Justice
0: bonus episode of the Murdoch Murders podcast is created and hosted by me, Mandy Matney, with co host Liz Farrell, our executive editor, and Eric Bland, attorney at law, aka the Jackhammer of Justice,
2: from Luna Shark Productions.